Well, I'm going to ask you to grab your Bible, if you would, go with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, we've kind of made a change a little bit to where we were going to be over the past several months. We've been planning on a sermon series through the book of Jonah. We're going to come back to that in just a few weeks or months. We're going to come back to that study. But we just really felt in light of the things that we've seen as a nation in the last 72 hours plus, we've really felt the Lord compel us. Uh, to begin to change our direction, to, to really begin to seek his face and say, okay, how, how can we as a church uh, go to the scriptures and really answer some important questions that people are asking? I know in times like this, uh, it's natural to ask the Lord, wh- wh- where are you in all of this? It's, it's natural to wonder why, why so much sickness and, and, and where is God in the midst of all the chaos and and, and as many of us, we maybe have fear in our hearts, and we don't know how to manage the fear that we have. And others of us, be honest, we, we may be a little insensitive to those who might be uh, struggling with fear. So, so I wanted to take a few uh, weeks and just walk through some very key passages of Scripture uh, to just talk about Jesus and. Jesus and. That's the name of our series over the next few weeks. Jesus and uh, crisis. We're going to talk about Jesus and sickness. We're going to look at Jesus in doubt. We're going to wrestle with these questions and see how Jesus helps us understand that in him we have hope and we have answers that we're looking for when uh, times are difficult in our life. And so th- this morning we're, we're going to jump into this and we're going to talk about Jesus and crisis. We are in what we would call a bit of a crisis. Let me give you a definition of what a crisis is. According to dictionary.com, this is what the definition of crisis is. It's a condition of instability or danger, as in social, economic, political, or international affairs. Here's another way of saying it. It's leading people to a decisive change or dramatic emotional or circumstantial upheaval in a person's life. So I would say by definition, what we've experienced these past few days is a bit of a crisis. I mean, uh, these past uh, few days, we've seen our lives interrupted. We've had dramatic uh, turn of events, instability in the economy. I mean, here's the thing that's really gotten me in a panic. They've canceled NBA and the NCAA tournament is not going to happen. Like, I don't even know how we're going to survive without March Madness, but we're going to have to find a way somehow. I mean, I literally uh, hit the panic button. Then I realized something as a Razorback fan whose team may or may not get into the NCAA tournament that I just want to celebrate with all of you today that they have uh, won the championship on my bracket. And so all the congratulations to the Razorback fans out there. We have finally won again the national championship in men's basketball. Now, you may say, I don't think that that was going to happen, but that's your opinion. I'm celebrating the championship. All right. This is the joy in the midst of the crisis for me. And honestly, and honestly, some of this crisis has provided itself in other humorous ways. I was uh, shopping the other day, and I wasn't in a panic. I wasn't uh, in there because I felt like the apocalypse was here, but apparently other people were. I felt like it was, there was looting going on. Um, so I'm in the middle of shopping. I passed a buddy who was like, hey, uh, I'm not crazy, but here's a couple of, uh, he had a couple of, um, of uh, uh, containers of, of toilet paper. And uh, he said, are you going to get any toilet paper? I'm like, yeah, I mean, not like you're getting, but I'm going to get some. And, and uh, uh, so he said, well, you better get back there. It's chaos. By the time I reached the back of the store, uh, every square of toilet paper was gone. There was one lady, and I kid you not, she had toilet paper stacked up from the bottom of her buggy to over her head on the phone with friends, calling them, asking them where she can go and get more. I'm not so certain she has read the description of the indicators of coronavirus, but I don't think the need for that much toilet paper is a part of it. But we see, we see this kind of chaos and this moment of panic and crisis all around us. And, and seriously speaking, 
Uh, this is a serious issue, and there is reason for concern. And for many people, this is a time of fear and panic. And I want to address that this morning from God's Word. How does Jesus meet us in the crisis? And so Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Um, and, and I want to just read a couple of verses, and we're going to talk about a story I believe that's very familiar, and it's a story of how Jesus stepped in in the middle of a crisis to bring hope to what seemed to be a hopeless situation. Mark chapter uh, 4, start reading in verse 35. Here's what the story says. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he, this is Jesus, he said to them, he said to his disciples, he says, Let us go across to the other side. And then it says, in leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, but uh, just as he was, and the other boats were with them. So Jesus is getting in a boat with his disciples. He initiates this. They're going to go across the sea. Other boats were with them. And then verse 37, listen to what it says. And uh, a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already uh, feeling. Now, here, here's what's happening in the story. Now, this may be a very familiar story uh, to many of you, but here's what's happening in the story. So Jesus has been on this, uh, this kind of this road of teaching and preaching and healing and, and, and providing uh, signs of who he is. And he's coming to the end of, of one of those uh, sessions of, of just miraculous work. He, he gets in the boat with his disciples, and on the way across the sea, a, a fierce storm uh, occurs on the sea. Now, this is not uncommon for the sea that they were on, particularly, and here's why, that just uh, geographically, this was a location that was historically known for a lot of enormous uh, storms that would arise in the, in the split of a moment. Here's what they tell us. They said that this sea sits about 700 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded by a number of mountains, but what one particular mountain, Mount Hermon, sits about 9,200 feet uh, above sea level. And so here's what you have. You have all of this warm air off of the sea trying to rise with all of this cold air sweeping down in this mountain range. And oftentimes when the hot air meets the cold air, it would cause these massive hurricane-type storms on this sea. In fact, look at the language in the text here. It says that this storm was great. The, the Greek word here is the word megas. It's the, where we get the word mega. So this was a, a mega storm. The, the word uh, windstorm here could also apply. The idea here is it was a hurricane type storm. In fact, in Matthew's parallel account to this, Matthew tells this same story, and the word he uses in the Greek is the word seismos. The word seismic, the word seismic is where we get the word uh, seismic activity. It's the idea of, a, of an earthquake. So, so here is what is being painted for us. This is a massive storm. This is a, a fierce storm. And what's happening is, is that the boat is now about to sink. It says that the waves are crashing the boat and the water is filling the boat and it's on the brink of sinking. And here's what happens. Notice the disciples' response. This is what we would call an all-out crisis. Look at verse 38. It says in verse 38, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. Now, now pause there for a moment, but he, this is Jesus, but Jesus what was there, he was in the boat, but he was there on a cushion and he was sleeping. Now we're going to come back to that because it doesn't make sense. Why in the world would Jesus be sleeping at a time like this? But look what happens with the disciples. And they woke him. 
So they, they go to him. They're shaking Jesus. And they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are, listen to the word, perishing? Now, don't miss this here. I want you to remember who this is on the boat. Many of these disciples on the boat were fishermen. What this simply means is, is that they were men who were very familiar with the open sea. No doubt these men, many of them have been in many a storm. They have been on the boat a number of times when the storms were raging, when the waves were crashing. But something about this storm overwhelmed even the professional fishermen, even those who were most experienced. Man, they hit the panic button. They realized the severity of the crisis. And here they are. They're in full-blown, what are we going to do moment. I don't know if you've ever been in those situations in life where, I mean, you get the phone call, you get the news, you're in the circumstances, and man, you just, like, what are we going to do? You just hit the panic button, and you're in the crisis. You know you're in the crisis, and I want you to see something in the story that I think is pivotal for us. I think we need to understand very clearly what is being displayed here by these disciples. You see, here is the reality is that when we go through seasons of crisis, oftentimes we have two predominant fears that just jump out of us in these moments. The first is this, that in the, moment, in the midst of crisis, it is quite often the case that we find ourselves in a place of fear, that we're in the place of fear. This is what we see in the story. The disciples are so overwhelmed, they're calling out. They're thinking they're going to perish. They're yelling to Jesus. They're trying to wake him up and get his attention. Why? Because they're afraid. And, and wouldn't you be? I mean, you're in this boat in the middle of the sea, and you think for sure we're going down, and it's over. Man, they were filled with fear. So here's the thing that I want you to see. There was this question they were asking in this moment. Am I going to make it? This is a question that oftentimes we find ourselves asking when we go through moments of crisis. Am I going to make it? We're filled with fear. We are uncertain about the future. And I know the past few days, for many in our nation, this has been a season of fear. This has been a circumstance where we're asking the question, are we going to make it? And I know for some, we are maybe the personality type, and we're like, no, this is no big deal. We're going to blow this off. But I want you to know that regardless of who you are, where you are, and what your disposition is in the the season of coronavirus, all of us are going to hit crisis in life. And, And let me just assure you, fear is going to creep in. This is a natural human response when moments of crisis happen. Are we going to make it? Maybe for some of you, you're in a marriage crisis. Your your marriage is in a storm and you're filled with fear because you don't know, is he going to stay? Is she going to go? Is this thing going to work out? Are we going to make it? And I want you to know that if you're going through a season of crisis and you're feeling that, that sense of fear, I want you to know that you're in good company because men like Peter and James and John and, and the rest of the disciples, they, they were afraid in this moment. They were filled with fear. Now, here's the second response that we have. We have this this response of doubt. We have this response of doubt. I love what it says here. Their, their, their declaration to him in verse 38 was, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Oftentimes, it's not just fear of the uncertainty of what's going to happen, but it's the doubt of where is God in this? Does God even care about my situation? Does Jesus even care that I'm in this crisis? That oftentimes when we hit these moments, we're kind of looking and going, Jesus, where are you in this moment? Don't you care that I'm going to die, that I'm going to perish? I know for so many in our world today, when we go through circumstances like we're in, whether it's the economic crisis or whether it's uh, the health crisis or maybe it's just global uncertainty, 
that so many of us, we begin to ask this question, where is God in all of this? Does Jesus even care about this? How, how can I trust a God who lets storms like this come into our life? How can I trust a God who, who, who doesn't uh, protect me from circumstances that I think might end in my demise or cause me harm in my life? I want you to know this morning that your doubts are normal and that your doubts, listen to me, that God is big enough to handle your doubts. He's big enough to handle your questions. We're going to see in a moment what Jesus does in the midst of this fear, in the midst of this doubt. And I want you to know that the same Jesus that's going to address the storm that's bringing the doubt and the fear to the disciples is the same Jesus who will address whatever storm you are in, whatever crisis you are facing. He will help you walk through whatever it is, understanding that you can bring your doubts and you can bring your fears to the one who is in control of it all. And this is the hope that we have in Christ. Now, I want, you to, I, want to know, I want you to notice Jesus' responses. Look what he says in verse 38. I love this. Verse 38, you're going to see Jesus in full out uh, authority and power mode. Look what he says here. It says, but he, Jesus, was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And I love this verse 39. And he awoke. And he awoke. Jesus gets up from his sleep and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. Now listen to this. Listen to what happens. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. In fact, in the other accounts of this, the idea is, and immediately, when he speaks, immediately there's this calm, and there's this peace that happens. Look at verse 40. And he said to them, I love this question, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were, listen to this, I love this, and they were filled, and they were filled with great fear. Oftentimes when you're in the room with me, uh, I have you repeat words, and um, I'm going to have you do this in your living room, and I'm going to ask your kids next week at church if you did this, if you didn't do this, and uh, I'm going to try to rebuke you publicly. So right now in your rooms, just say this, say, uh, filled. All right, thank you for the 14 in this room. We were filled. They were filled with great fear. Now, why is that so important? It's because their, their fear has now transferred. That there, there's something happens in the story where their focus goes away from the crisis and away from the storm, and now their eyes are on the one who reigns above the storm and above the crisis, and they are still filled with fear. This fear has gone from panic to praise. They've transitioned from this moment of we're going to die to standing in awe of the one who holds life and all of creation in his hand. This is overwhelming. And they were filled with great fear and they said to one another, I love this question, who then is this? One of the greatest questions when we see Jesus at work is that question, who then is this? Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And what you see in this story is amazing. Jesus steps in and everything changes. Jesus steps into the story and everything changes. 
He goes from being asleep in the boat to being awake, and there's the sound of his voice. Everything in the boat and around the boat and in the hearts and the lives of those in the boat, everything in a second changes because Jesus is going to display his authority and his power over whatever crisis or whatever storm we might face in life. And so here's what I want to do. I want to get very practical with you the next few moments. I'm going to give you a couple of applications from this that we can rest in. In the midst of the crisis, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the uncertainty, whether it's the coronavirus or a marriage struggle or whether it's something at your work or an economic situation or whatever it might be in your life, when the crisis of life come, where is Jesus in this? I want you to see Jesus and crisis. I want to give you four truths that we find in this story that you can hang on to today and every day of your life, regardless of the crisis that you face. Here's number one. Here's the first truth is this. Jesus is with us in the crisis. Jesus is with us in the crisis. Look what he says in verse number 38. But he was in the stern. Now, he already says earlier that Jesus got in the boat with the disciples and he's traveling with them across the sea. And so we know that Jesus is in the boat and he is asleep in the boat, but here is the news. He's in the boat. So here's the thing that I want us to understand. Regardless of the circumstances that we find, Jesus is with us in every storm that we go through. He is with us in every crisis that we face. You see, Jesus initially in the story wasn't working like the disciples wanted him to work, but it did not mean he wasn't there. Uh, faith family, church family, those of you watching online, I want you to hear me say this. Jesus' inactivity in regards to what you prefer him to do in moments of crisis does not mean inactivity in what he wants to accomplish through your crisis. That when we see Jesus, we need to understand that regardless of whether or not he is moving and acting and responding in the way that we desire, it doesn't mean that he is absent. He is very, very present with us through every circumstance that we face. He is with them in the boat. And so I want you to know today that if you're going through a crisis, maybe beyond just the circumstances of our nation, if there is something in your life that's creating fear, and maybe you've been praying for God to come through in a certain situation, a certain crisis or storm that you are in, and maybe he hasn't responded as quickly as you would have liked, or maybe he has not responded in the way in which you would have liked. I want you to know this. He has not left you. He has not abandoned you. He is with you every step of the way. He, he is with you, and you can rest in that, and you can trust in that. It's, it's amazing to me as I have kids that, that as we kind of uh, see them grow up, there's different phases, and my kids are starting to get to the phase of more independence. But when they were little, I, it was amazing to me that there would be situations and circumstances in life where um, they would oftentimes find themselves full of fear, full of panic. Like, like maybe it was just as simple as uh, going upstairs to their room and nobody was up there and the lights were off and, and they would say, well, I don't want to go up there. And here's the word they would say, by themselves. I don't want to go up there by myself. No, by ourselves. And what they were saying is, is that, that there's, there's, I'm, I'm fearful of going in this thing alone. I'm fearful. And as a parent, you can look at it and go, that's silly because there's nothing up there. And if I go with you, it doesn't change the circumstances of where you're going, but there's something that happens in the heart of your kids when you go with them. 
All of a sudden, there's a newfound confidence. There's a new courage. There's a peace that they have. So there, there are moments where, where they were unwilling to go, are fearful of going on their own. Now they are able to face those fears and go to that place, not because they found confidence in themselves, but they found confidence in the one who was going with them. I want you to know that God is with you today. Regardless of what you're going through, he is with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. That's number one. Here's number two. So we see that Jesus is with us in the crisis. I want you to see that Jesus is sovereign over the crisis. That Jesus is sovereign over the crisis. Look what happens in verse 38 again. I love this. It says that, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Everybody say perishing. All right, I'm going to be asking your kids. You better be talking along with me at your home. Uh, Do you not care that we are perishing? And I love this. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. This is an unbelievable passage of scripture here. We see that the sovereignty of Jesus is very evident in, in, in two ways. The first is, and this is the, we're going to get to this first one in a minute, but I'm going to get to the second first, but because this is the most common. We, we always want to look at the fact that the storm listened to Jesus, and we're going to get to that, because that's the first big idea that when we read this story, we go, okay, Jesus is sovereign because he speaks and the storm stops. But we see a sovereignty really in this, that he's sleeping in the storm. That he's sleeping in the storm. We find Jesus at perfect peace, at perfect rest. See, the chaos in the boat... The chaos outside of the boat was out of control. The disciples are freaking out. Are we going to die? Are we going to perish? Where is Jesus in all of this? And what is Jesus doing? Jesus is asleep. He is calm. He is at rest in that moment. Why? Because Jesus is sovereign over the storm. You see, here's what I want you to know. This is, this is a truth that we need to be declaring in this season as we think about the coronavirus and the possibilities of what may be ahead of us. I want you to understand that Jesus has not hit the panic button, that he is sovereign over all of this, that he is in control. So there may be chaos in our hearts. There may be chaos in our community. There, there may be uncertainty in our mind. But here's the reality is that the one who holds today also holds tomorrow. And he is sovereign over it all. And he is at perfect peace. And he is at perfect rest. Why? Because he is sovereign. We, we cannot miss this. That while we might be overwhelmed in our hearts... There is nothing that overwhelms the heart of Jesus. Listen, I want you to know that we can find rest in the midst of the storm with Jesus as well. That, that we can rest in his sovereignty knowing that he loves us, knowing that he is in control. He is not worried even a little bit. I was uh, traveling a few years ago. Um, I was coming out of San Antonio, uh, coming back uh, here to uh, northeast Texas, uh, for a funeral, and, and I was kind of getting to the airport, last-minute flight, and on the way to the airport in San Antonio, Texas, a snowstorm was happening. Like, there was snow falling like I've never seen before, and of all places, the last place on the planet I would ever think there would be snow. And so I get to the airport, and I've never flown in snow, and I was wondering what the turbulence was going to be like, but we didn't even get off the runway good before the plane was just being thrown all over the sky. And I, I'm not one that typically uh, gets too nervous in flying, and turbulence really doesn't bother me too much. 
much, but this was one of the worst flights I'd ever been on. And I'm talking about, I'm strapped in, I'm tight in the buckle, I'm holding on. And here's what I did the entire flight. I stared at the stewardess. I stared at the one who's most familiar with the turbulence. And I, I literally, I'm looking out the window and I'm, I'm looking at the snow and then I'm looking at her and she probably thought I was a creepy stalker dude, but I'm sitting there. My eyes were glued to her because here's why. I was trying to look for her facial expressions. The moment where her eyes got big, man, my eyes got big and my grip got tighter. And then she would just get her magazine out and read. And I'm like, okay, all is well. Why? Because I was looking to someone and I was watching their reaction. I was reading their cues. I was seeing their posture. I was watching their body language. And, and their posture and their body language was able to either bring calm into my heart or panic into the moment. And here's what I want you to know. That in the midst of the storm, we need to fix our eyes on the one who is at rest and at peace, who is not panicking. Jesus, listen, is not concerned about the boat. He is not concerned about the waves. He is not overwhelmed with the volume of the wind. He understands that all is well because he is in control of all. And we can rest in that. But we also not only see it in the sleeping of Jesus, but in the authority of Jesus. Look at verse 39 again. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace, be still. So there's this declaration of authority. And immediately at once, everything came to a great calm and a halt. I want you to hear what one a commentary said about this. It says that Jesus' command is with complete authority. It, it could almost be translated, be still, and I mean now. Like he is all out rebuking the windstorm like he is correcting a kid who's out of control or who's having bad behavior. He's actually saying, hey, hey, calm down. Put an end to it. And in a moment, here's what happens. It says that the wind ceased to a great calm. The, the idea here is powerful. It, it means that the, the, the winds died down to the point of which some translate this. It was a dead calm. I want you to think about this. this it wasn't like Jesus got up and, 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 and prayed like this lengthy prayer and was like, oh, Father in heaven, please, if you would, grant to us this moment and, and trying to plead with God. There was no incantation. He didn't tap his heels four times. No, Jesus stands up in the boat. He looks at the wind and the waves. He rebukes them and says, stop it. And it wasn't like there was this gradual slowing down of the storm because there was a you know, pressure that blew the winds away. No, no, no. There was a, an immediacy to this. At once, the storm stopped and everything came to a perfect calm. Now, why is that important? It's because creation recognizes the voice of the creator. You see, creation had heard that voice once before. You see, the same voice that called out to the storm, peace be still, I rebuke you, is the same voice that said, let there be light and there was light. Who, who, who created the stars in the sky and the sun and the moon and all the planets and the vastness of the universe, the same voice that spoke the world into existence is the same voice that's telling the storm, you're done here. All authority, all power, all sovereignty, all wrapped up in one person, and his name is Jesus. And here's what I want you to know today. That Jesus is the one who calms the storm. He is the one who cures the sickness. He is the one who ends the crisis. He is the one that we trust in. You see, listen, while we pray for our government authorities, we ask God for wisdom for them. 
We are asking uh, for, for, for and, and, and we want to be wise in, in how we interact through this time of crisis. But listen, our hope does not come from decisions from the government. Our hope does not come from doctors who provide a cure. Our hope is found on Christ and Christ alone. He is our hope. He is the one we trust in. Why? Because he is sovereign over everything. Here is the reality for all of us in this moment. Regardless of the crisis you are in, you need to know that Jesus is sovereign and he reigns above it all. And I know sometimes it's hard to know what he's going to do and when he's going to do it. In our limited understanding, we're wondering how it's going to end. But here's what I want you to be certain of today. Jesus is not asking those questions. He is sovereign. His will will unfold, and we can trust him every step of the way. Which leads me to number three. So we see that Jesus is with us in the crisis. Jesus is sovereign over the crisis. I want you to see Jesus will grow us through the crisis. Jesus will grow us through the crisis. This is important for us to understand. In verse 40, it says, He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, I think this is important in light of the question that they asked Jesus earlier. If you remember the question, they go to him and they wake him up and they're like, Jesus, don't you care that we perish so you see doubt and fear rise up in the hearts of the disciples? And so they call out to him. And here's what I want you to know. As soon as they cry out to Jesus, it says, and he awoke and said to the storm. In other words, it wasn't like they got it all together before Jesus responded to their prayer. It wasn't like they mustered up some faith in him and their doubts were erased or they come to him. No, no, no. They come to him not after their doubt, not after their faith. They come to him in their doubt and in their lack of faith. They come to him and say, Jesus, we we need you. So here's what I want you to know this morning is that whatever doubt you have, whatever fear you are facing, I want you to know that you don't have to overcome the doubt, overcome the fear before you go to Jesus. You can take your doubt, you can take your fear, and you can march it straight into his presence. And you can say, I am afraid. I am doubting. I don't know where you are. I am even questioning your love for me. I don't know how this thing is going down. But I am going to the one who I know reigns sovereignly above it all. And what God will do in that moment, you're not going to find a rebuke for your lack of faith. You're not going to find a rebuke for your doubt. You're going to find answer and a hope in the midst of your doubt, in the midst of your lack of faith. See, when Jesus asked this question, I think sometimes we, we really make Jesus more Baptist than what I believe he, he was. <laughs> Here's what I mean by that. We, we kind of paint him as this angry preacher. When, when Jesus sits up in the boat and he says, why are you so afraid? Uh, have you still no faith? We kind of put the old grumpy preacher voice on. It's like, why are you still doubting? And why are you so afraid? Don't you even believe in me now? And we, we kind of think Jesus is beating the disciples over the head going, why didn't you trust me? Why didn't you believe in me? Why didn't you da 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 or whatever? We, we, we feel that in this moment that Jesus is like just kind of chastising them. I don't think that's that at all. I think what's happening in the moment is that Jesus is sitting up. He rebukes the wind and the waves. And I think this is just my maybe divine imagination. I don't know. But I think Jesus starts to laugh and goes, boys, you still don't believe? Like, like you just saw me feed thousands of people with just a couple of fish and a couple of loaves. You were there when the lame guy walked. You were there when I touched the leper. You, you've seen this. You're still lacking faith. Come on, man. 
And what happens in this moment is they get to see a glimpse of Jesus and a light that they've not seen and an authority that they know he possessed, and they grew in this moment. You see, Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Jesus strengthens them through the crisis. And I want you to know that we may not have all the answers of why Jesus allows certain things into our life, because here's the reality, is that Jesus is the one that told them, let's get in the boat. Jesus is the one that said, we're going to the other side. Which, which simply means this, is if we believe in the sovereignty of Jesus, we have to believe that if he can calm the storm, we've got to believe that he knew the storm was coming. So the, so the storm didn't catch Jesus by surprise. He, he says, let's get in the boat. He led them into the storm so that through the storm, he might strengthen them and deepen their faith in him. We may not have all the answers of why Jesus allows certain things into our life, but here's one thing we do know, that when we turn to him in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of the storm, he strengthens us and we grow and are, and are deepened in our understanding of who he is and what he wants to accomplish in and through our lives. And this is what you see in the story. Look at the response of the disciples. They were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They saw something in Jesus they'd never seen before. I want to know, you know, in my own life, I've gone through seasons of crisis. I've gone through moments of doubt and fear. And what happens in those moments when I do cry out to him and when I do uh, lift my, my concerns to him and say, Jesus, I don't know what to do, here's what happens in my heart almost every single time when I surrender to him. I come out of those crises. I come out of those storms stronger than I was before, understanding a little more about who he is and his love for me and the greatness of what he wants to do in the world and in my life. And it says they were filled with fear. There was a deeper worship. Listen, I want to tell you this, that the, the, the most, the people in my life that I've met through the years that have the deepest devotion to Jesus and who have the, the greatest admiration and maybe the, 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 the greatest expression of worship are, are those that if I look back at their life, they've gone through some of the hardest moments and the deepest pain. Because there's something you discover in those storms, in those crises that you just don't discover when you don't face the storm and face the crisis. And this is what happens in the heart of the disciples. A friend of mine, probably 10 or it's been longer than that, it's probably been 15 years ago, uh, went through uh, uh, a death of a child in, in, in the later terms of, of her pregnancy and just wrestling with this and just going through this crisis and this storm. And, and they prayed, they knew the baby might be sick, and they prayed, and, and God didn't answer the way that they wanted to. And, and I remember her telling us that she went to her father, who was a pastor, and just, just said to her father, said, you know, why, does, why did God let this happen? Well, why, did he, why did he let this happen? Why didn't he save my baby? And her dad's response, I'll never forget, he, he looks at her and he grabs her in a, by her face and he says, baby girl, I don't know. I don't know why God chose this. I don't know why God allowed this, but here's what I know. What I know about God gives me reason to trust him even in the darkness, to follow him even into the unknown. You see, it's in those seasons of darkness, it's in those times of the unknown where we get a chance to experience God in ways that we cannot apart from those seasons. And while they are hard, they grow us and they mature us and, and I believe ultimately advance his mission and purpose. Let me, let me give you number four. 
Number four is where I get really excited. So I want you to track with me the last few moments together. So we see these, these big ideas here. Jesus is with us in the crisis. Jesus is sovereign over the crisis. Jesus will grow us through the crisis. And listen to this. Jesus one day will eliminate every crisis. Jesus one day will eliminate every crisis. I don't want you to miss this. You see, when you, when you see the, the life of Jesus, here's what you see. The, the kingdom of God is breaking in. What is the kingdom of God? It's the rule and reign of God. You see, this kingdom of this world is broken, and, and now because of sin, we, we experience things like sickness. We experience national, uh, uh, natural disasters. We experience death and pain and suffering, and none of that was a part of God's plan for creation. But because of sin now, this is the reality for all of us, that this, this kingdom of this world, it is broken, but, but God promises that he is going to restore the kingdom, that the kingdom of God is going to be ushered in. And at the coming of Christ, we see the kingdom of God breaking into the kingdom of, the kingdom of this world. And so what we find with Jesus is Jesus heals. You see, here's the reality, and we'll talk more about this in the weeks to come, is that we see that Jesus heals many diseases and many sicknesses. He doesn't heal every disease. He doesn't heal every sickness. I want to say this because right now in our culture, you're going to hear a lot of false doctrine. There's even some crazy churches right now that are teaching things like, well, if you just have enough faith, you won't get the coronavirus, that you don't really have to follow the guidelines and go through all of the steps that the professionals are telling us we should go through. Just have faith. Even many who may question why churches wouldn't gather together as being a questioning of our faith. And if we just believe enough, then we won't get sick. And I want to encourage you to, 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 with this. The gospel of Jesus does not eliminate suffering. It does not eliminate sickness. Having faith in Christ does not mean that we are going to be immune. If we just have enough faith, if you don't have enough faith, then you're probably going to be susceptible to the things of this world. Listen, while I believe that Jesus is all-powerful, and he can protect us. But here's what I know. What I know is I read the scriptures and I look at church history, that even the most godly people went through seasons of suffering, went through seasons of sorrow, went through seasons of, of sadness. What we do have in the midst of that is we have the testimony throughout the scriptures, we have the testimony throughout church scripture that God sustains us. So he doesn't heal Every disease and every sickness. We don't see that in the scripture. We won't see that now. But what you find in the New Testament, as Jesus heals the diseases, as he touches the afflicted, as he raises the dead, as he calms the storms, as Jesus enters into the various crises in the New Testament, what we find is the power of the kingdom of God who has authority to wipe those things away. And in the life of Jesus, we are getting a glimpse of what is to come when his kingdom is fully manifested here on earth. You see, in his first coming, we get a glimpse of the kingdom. He is ushering that in. And we're seeing that one day, there is a day when King Jesus will end every sickness. He will cure every disease. He will do all of those things. And we're seeing it piece by piece, moment by moment, in certain circumstances through the New Testament. And what that does for us, that gives us hope that says, when the kingdom of God fully comes, all will be made well. In fact, in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 21, here's what we have. Revelation 21, we get a picture of what's going to happen one day when the kingdom of God comes. 
You see, throughout the New Testament, we get the glimpse, small portions of the healing and the diseases and the sicknesses and the storms going away. But there is a day coming when it's not just the kingdom of God uh, coming in. It's going to come in its fullness. It's going to establish itself. And this is what John records to us. This is what is coming our way. Jesus will end all crisis. It says in chapter 21, verse 43, it says, And when I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, this is Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Now listen to verse 4. And he will wipe every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. Why? For the former things, the brokenness of this world, every crisis that we've ever experienced on this side of eternity, the former things will have passed away and he who is seated on the throne, this is King Jesus, said, behold, I am making all things new all things new, not some things, all things new. And then he says this. He also said, write this down. I love this. For these words are trustworthy and true. I want you to know this morning, Jesus will eliminate every crisis one day. He will eliminate every crisis one day. So while we might have to go through storms on this side of eternity, we need to know that the kingdom of God has ushered in, and it can, and Jesus at times will bring healing. At times he will bring uh, immediate restoration. At times he will take the storm and he will say cease, and that storm temporarily will be ended. But here's what we need to know, that there are other times where Jesus will say, no, 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 I'm in the boat. I need you to weather the storm. I need you to stay put. I'm going to keep you here a little longer. We're going to ride this thing out. But here's what we can rest confidently in. Regardless, the storm for us might, might mean a day, might mean a week, might be a month. It might be 40 years, 50 years. Most of our life might be one storm after another. But here is the hope that we have. The storm stiller is in the boat, and there is coming a day when he will wipe every tear from the eyes, and there will be no death and no pain and no suffering because the former things of this world that are broken will be fully restored and all things will be made new and the one who sits on the throne says to you and me write this down because this is true you can take it to the bank you can trust it with your life your hope can rest fully in this reality that one day Jesus will end all crisis and every storm will be eliminated forever I don't know about you but that that gives me hope today. That the storm may last a season, but the storm is not here forever. And the reason this is the case is because the disciples in this moment, they're in the midst of a storm. And Jesus stands in the boat and he says, cease. And peace enters in the equation and the storm is stilled. And the disciples are saved because of the authority and the power of Jesus. But there's a greater storm that humanity faces, something much more terrible than the weather dilemma that the disciples were in, the coronavirus that we're facing, the marriage struggle that you might be in, 
whatever the circumstances are, I want you to know today that there is a greater storm that we're all caught up in. And that is the storm of sin and death. That we are all because of sin, we are underneath the weight of God's judgment that we have sinned against him. Therefore, the storm of his judgment is coming our way. And there is no cure for this. There is no way of we can escape this in and of ourselves. What we need is one who will step into the storm and bring about peace. And this is what Jesus has done. Jesus came in. He stepped into our storm. And Jesus did not just say, peace, be still. Jesus absorbed in himself the full weight of the wrath of God on the cross. That he died in our place. The storm of God's fury was poured out upon him. And Jesus was crushed in this storm for our sake so that in his resurrection he might say to you and me peace be still in me you can escape the storm you can escape the wrath that is coming you see we the reason we can have hope in this crisis is because the greatest crisis has been already solved in Christ the cure for sin and death the one who steals the storm of God's wrath has already said to you and me, it is finished, it is done. I am the one you need. And so maybe for you, whether you're sitting in your home or whether you're at your office, wherever you might find yourself right now in this moment, maybe the season of uncertainty has brought about questions in your heart of eternity. And I want you to know that there is something greater than the coronavirus. It is the sin sickness that you have, that I have apart from Jesus. And the cure has already been made available. Jesus died and he resurrected so that your sins might be dealt with and that you might find forgiveness, that you might receive new life. And I'm going to ask you right now, wherever you are in your living rooms, at your office, wherever you find yourself, I'm going to ask you right now just to bow your head. Just to bow your head. And if that is you this morning and you are uncertain about your eternity, The storm of God's wrath has never been settled in your heart because you've never trusted in the storm stiller named Jesus. Then right now where you are, you can confess your sin. You can simply say, Jesus, I am a sinner. And I know that you died for my sins. And I know that there's nothing I can do to cure myself of the sickness that I have. But I know that you died for me and you resurrected. And in you, I have hope. Jesus, I'm asking you to save me to forgive me, to make me new. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Listen to me, if you prayed today to receive Christ, we wanna know about that. You can message us on Facebook. You can uh, send us a comment in the comment section of our uh, website. We would love to be able to celebrate this decision today. If you trusted in Christ for the very first time, we would love to be able to send you resources to help you take the next steps, regardless of whether you live here in the East Texas area or uh, around the world. We would love for you to reach out to us. Let us know about this decision so that we can help you take the next steps in this new life of pursuing Jesus. Others of you uh, that are listening today, I'm going to encourage you Take this message of hope and and not just let these be words that, 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 that enter into your mind, but rather that enter into your heart. That this would be a calming message for you, that the truths that we wrestled with today would carry you through not just the crisis we are in nationally or, or, or globally, but whatever crisis individually that you're going through in, in this life or maybe the crisis that is on its way that you don't even see coming. Let this be an anchor of hope. And here's the last thing I would encourage you to do. You take this message of hope and you share this with those around you. 
You see, I believe as believers, we have a great opportunity to point people to the one who steps into the crisis. Why? Because he is sovereign over the crisis. He is with us in the crisis. He is going to grow us through the crisis, and ultimately one day he will eliminate all crisis. Let's take this message, and let's, let's speak this into the lives of those that we work with, those in our neighborhood, and let's leverage this season, this crisis that we're facing as a nation, as a people, to point people to the hope that is found in Christ. Let me pray for you. Father of heaven and earth, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. I pray now that you would bless every single person gathering around a screen today. Use this message, God, to strengthen them, to encourage them, to help them face the challenges, to navigate through the things that they're going through. Father, whether it's the coronavirus or circumstances that are just isolated to their life, God, I pray that you will speak to them through this today. And God, I pray for those who gave their life to you today. I pray that they will let us know. We rejoice because we know that heaven is rejoicing. And God, I just thank you for the harvest that we have seen already. We celebrate this. We thank you that you are with us and our hope is found in you. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus and wherever you are gathered, I want you to say it, amen.